Um, so, Pastor Doug was uh, supposed to do the message today, but he caught a bug yesterday and isn't feeling up to being here this morning. So I'm jumping in for him and uh, uh, not going to do the same passage that he had selected. So I'm going to do a different passage than what's in the worship guide. And um, God is at work. And so we're going to work through this together today and be excited to see how God will use this uh, message. Now, I don't know if you're aware or not, but Christmas is exactly two weeks from today. So for some of us, that creates a lot of excitement and energy. For others, it may be a little bit of anxiety to hear that it's only two weeks away. You know, I can remember as a kid, you know, I was just overwhelmed with excitement. I mean, could hardly stand and waiting till the day that Christmas would come. And really for me at that point, it was all about the presents under the tree. I still get excited about Christmas, but it's really not about the presents under the tree anymore. It's really about about relationships, about connecting with family and friends, and and even more than that, just celebrating the gift of Jesus uh, at that time of year. Um, now, some of you, when you heard me again say that, they, that Christmas is only two weeks away, it causes you a little bit of panic, because maybe you haven't purchased all the Christmas presents yet, or maybe you have, and now you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay for those presents, uh, or maybe you haven't sent all your Christmas cards yet. And maybe you haven't even thought about that until I mentioned it, and so now I'm adding to your anxiety. Maybe you haven't finalized all your family plans, like are you going to go uh, to both parents' uh, places? Are you going to have your children back? Are they coming home? Are you going to go and be with their families? Just so many decisions to make. Christmas can add quite a bit of stress to our lives. And for some, again, Christmas creates excitement. For a few, Christmas can create some anxiety But for many, Christmas can actually be a really hard time, a real challenging time for a lot of folks. I heard someone this week talk about how Christmas is an amplifier of life. Uh, If things are going really well, if we're in pretty healthy relationships, then Christmas typically is great. Uh, The opposite can be true, however. If there's significant challenges in life, if there's brokenness, difficulty, sorrow, isolation, or a significant loss, then Christmas can amplify those things as well. We can admit that at times life is really hard. And for some of you, that experience is right now. And in some ways, it feels like Christmas is just making it harder. And I want to ask you today, what did you come here today looking for? What are you hoping that I will answer for you? What is it that you want from God today? That's a bold question, isn't it? What are you seeking from God today? There are plenty of seekers who came wanting uh, things from Jesus, and he would ask them things like, what are you looking for? Or in Mark, we're told he asked a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And I want you to consider today, what is it that you're facing that's a significant challenge in your life? Let me ask it this way. What is it um, that you're wrestling with that causes you to go on long walks? Or maybe causes you to tear up a little bit when you're in the shower? Or maybe causes you to cry on your way to work. Or for men, I'm going to ask it this way. What causes you to leave a room with people in it, in your house, and go to the garage or to the basement because maybe you're angry or you're upset or you're uh, mad and you don't want anybody to see you kind of lose it? Or maybe you're sad and you don't want to show that emotion because you're afraid that people might think you don't kind of have it all together. So whatever came to your mind just now as I was kind of describing those things, I want to challenge you to write it down in the message notes in your worship guide. Just write that thing down. Uh, you can write it down. Nobody else has to see it. 
I want you to write it down. I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to take that thing and to, to seek Christ in that area in your life today. You know, oftentimes we seek God, we ask God, and we look and long and wait for God to do things in our life. And, you know, there was a man who was waiting for God to do something new in his life in Scripture. In fact, he'd been waiting and seeking God his whole life to see God do something new and something new, not only in his life, but in his land. And let's see what Scripture has to tell us about how he experiencing God doing something new in his life. It's in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles, your Word, and uh, look at that passage with me. Again, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And let's discover how God was working in this man's life, who was seeking and waiting and wanting God to do something new in his life. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what what was said about him. And so I, I just as we think about this, uh, we're in the midst of this sermon series right now called Miraculous Births. And births are, you know, all about new, something new happening in our lives. It's about new life. It's about new beginnings. It's something that we can celebrate. Uh, births are exciting. And Christ, we're told in Scripture, came to make all things new. My hope is that today that Christ will demonstrate His love and His presence to you in a way that your hope would be renewed in Christ, that Christ really can make things new in your life. Listen to what God said through the prophet Isaiah, promising of a Savior who would come and make things new. This is in Isaiah 43, verse 19. It says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And my prayer for all of us is that may Christ make a new way, especially for those of you who feel like you're in the wilderness today. Today I'm going to share with you about what's called the consolation of Christ. That's kind of an unusual phrase. We don't use that very often. In the passage that we heard from Luke just now, we meet a man named Simeon uh, who was seeking God, and he was desperate to see him work in his life in a new way. And what was what was his longing from God? What was he looking for from God. Look again at verse 25 in that passage. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of the Lord of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. So what is the consolation of Israel? When you hear the word consolation, what do you think of? Well, I'll share with you uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, kind of an unusual thing. When I was in high school, and I played basketball at Salina South High School. We actually were pretty good as a team. We went to state three years in a row, but we were the smallest school in 6A at that time. And when we made it to state, we'd always go and play the larger schools from Wichita or Kansas City, and we usually lost in the first round. 
But my junior year, we actually upset the team that was favored in the first round, and we went to the semifinal. We were playing the number one team in the state, and uh, they were we were huge underdogs, and it was a close game the whole game, and we had a last-second shot, but we missed it. We lost the game. And back then, they played a thing called the third-place game. It was called the consolation game. And let me tell you, after you've lost this in the semifinal, nobody wants to play the consolation game. But that's the thing that comes to my mind. But this is not, when we talk about the consolation of Christ, this is not what we're talking about, okay? And let me tell you, the consolation of, of Israel, the consolation of Christ is nothing like a third place uh, consolation game. The consolation of Christ is Christ recognizing our human brokenness, recognizing our deepest losses, and being willing to come and take on our flesh and to meet us in the place of our desperation. That's the consolation of Christ. That Jesus took on our flesh so that we might be able to relate to Him in a personal way. Think about the time period in which Jesus came to us. Why He took on our flesh. Who do you best relate to when you're going through a difficult circumstance? You've lost your job, for example. You know, you have gone through the pain and the panic of losing a job. You probably feel a little bit of loss of identity that goes with that job and you're struggling, who would be the person you'd most want to connect with in that circumstance? It would be somebody who's gone through something similar, right? Somebody else who's lost a job and understands what you're going through. You really wouldn't want as necessarily to be consoled by somebody who had never experienced that before. Somebody who might say, you know, I don't know. I've never lost a job before. That must be tough. No, Somebody who understands what we're going through. You want a person that you could draw comfort from who's done that, who's experienced that. Somebody who could identify with your circumstances. And God allows us, each of us, to go through all kinds of circumstances and painful ones at times. But the reason that Jesus came is so that in our circumstances, we can approach God in confidence that he understands us. Certainly he's God and he didn't have to do that, but he did because... He did it for our benefits, so that we can relate to Him. So if you're lonely, if you're discouraged, if uh, you know what it's like to be betrayed, if you know what it's like to be exhausted and at the end of your rope, Jesus has been there, and He can identify with us. Isaiah describes the Messiah like this, and it's nothing like the world would expect. He didn't come as a worldly king. He didn't come as a military leader to conquer lands and take over countries. He didn't even come as a religious leader. No, listen to the ways that Isaiah describes the one who would come and console us. Isaiah 53, 2 says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. And in fact, what he's saying is his appearance would be quite ordinary. In fact, instead of coming as somebody who's entirely extraordinary, he is described as somebody rather average by appearance. He's just like any other ordinary man, and he comes as a common man so that anyone can relate to him. In fact, the next verse, verse 3 out of Isaiah 53, says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Christ understands pain and suffering. Have you experienced great pain and suffering in your life? If so, know that Christ understands suffering and pain. He can truly empathize with 
someone who suffers. He came in the flesh so he can identify with us. We can relate to him in a personal way. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel, the consolation of every person. And Jesus came to be our consolation. What do you understand the consolation of Christ to mean? Well, one of the things it means is that Christ came to comfort us. Isaiah promised that the Messiah would be one that would bring comfort to a broken and a hurting world. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Think about the context of the time and the place that Jesus enters into the world. He enters into a place in his land where his own people don't even uh, rule or control their own country. The Roman Empire, right, has overtaken that area. And they rule, and they rule with an iron fist. And they are quite uh, demanding and quite overwhelming. Think about the pain and the suffering, the heartache that comes just a couple of years after Jesus' birth around Bethlehem when Herod learns of this prophecy and he orders that every male child under a certain age be killed in that area. Can you imagine the hurt, the desperation, the brokenness that that experience would have been? And Jesus and his family flee because of what is coming. Jesus and his family, they understand fear and hardship. Christ came not only that you and I would know how much God cares for us, but also that he's not distant, but that he's close. That he enters into our struggles and he identifies with us fully. Jesus makes God incredibly personal. If this season is a challenge for you and some struggle or some sadness or some difficulty, then according to this, Jesus identifies with us in our weaknesses. And he's come to offer us his comfort and his presence. Jesus took on our flesh to bring us comfort. And think of the way that Christ treated people when he ministered, uh, when he was on earth. He served the brokenhearted, right? The ostracized, the sick, the lame, the lepers. Listen to the promise, his promise on the Sermon of the Mount. He says in Matthew 5, 3, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The consolation of the Lord addresses both our past, but also our future. He came to comfort us in the midst of our painful experiences, but he also wants us to know we have a hopeful future in him. Our future is secure. Our hope in the future is secure in him. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So Christ comes to comfort, but Christ also comes in his consolation to restore us from our past losses. You know, the losses that we experience in this lifetime can be painful at a minimum and overwhelming at times, leaving us wondering if we're ever going to recover from those really devastating losses, if we're ever going to return to normal. Things like the loss of a meaningful relationship, the breakup of a family, the death of a loved one. Jesus came to offer us restoration for what we have lost. Listen to what he says when he begins his ministry in Galilee. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to share a story from my family's own 
painful past. My dad grew up in a fairly dysfunctional family, unfortunately. Uh, my grandmother especially was a very hard woman, a, a very bitter woman, not somebody that was very fun to be around. Uh, she actually had been in, married to another man before my grandfather, uh, and they had had a son together, my dad's half-brother. And somewhere along the line, their relationship failed, and they got a divorce. And her first husband left, completely abandoned them. He left, never contacted them again, never had any relationship with her or especially with their son. It was a very painful thing, we know, but we don't know the, we didn't know the uh, particulars of what had happened and what had caused him to leave in that way. But all I had known, my sister had known growing up, is that my grandmother was a very bitter woman. She was actually somebody that struggled with a lot of hatred and just not somebody that you really wanted to be around. And my parents, when they would tell us we were going to go to Texas to see my dad's parents, we just really weren't looking forward to that. And it wasn't because of my grandfather. It was really more because of my grandmother. And I always wondered how my dad turned out to be rather a pretty gentle and compassionate dad growing up in that in that family. And yet, we would faithfully go visit her and my grandfather until they both passed away. And my grandmother never changed. She remained bitter until the end of her life. And about 20 years after her death, something quite extraordinary happened. Uh, we were contacted by her first husband's extended family. He had left and he had started another family and they had done a family tree search and they had found out a lot of information about his life and about his extended family. They contacted us and we learned the rest of the story about what happened in that first marriage relationship. What we learned from this family was is that uh, her first husband, while that he was married to my grandmother, uh, began an affair with another woman. And that woman was married to another man at the time too. And uh, the, her husband discovered the affair uh, my grandmother's ex-husband killed him. We don't know if it was murder or self-defense and the guy you know, getting aggressive having found out what happened. But this was back in the 1920s and, and you know, what happened was uh, literally that man left my grandmother and my uh, uncle uh, and just left in the middle of the night. No word, nothing, just disappeared and left. He didn't even leave the town, he left the country. He went to Canada and he changed his name so that nobody would find him and he started a new life with this woman and uh, had a new family. And so it was quite a revelation to us. And we kind of understood a little bit more about my grandmother's pain and wounds that she carried that would have probably caused the bitterness and the hatred that she really kind of lived into in her life. And so, and again, You know, thinking about that, I just was marveled at the fact that my dad was able to create a new pathway out of that kind of family dysfunction. And he talks about how his relationship with Christ was a difference maker. And many of you could share stories of family dysfunction and heartache and how Christ has helped you experience restoration in him and how he's given you the strength and the courage to forge a new path, a different path out of the pain and the brokenness that you've experienced. Christ came to restore us from our past hurts and make all things new. There's also a future aspect of this work, the work of restoration. Not only does Christ restore us from our past losses, but Christ frees us to live fully into who he's created us to be. The pain and the loss we've experienced in our past can be so hard to move on from. It's often the thing that imprisons us to live in unhealthy ways out of shame and and out of despair, and Christ came to set us free from all of that crud, right? From all of the past. 
And I love what Apostle Paul says about this new thing that Christ does in and through us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, In Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And he says it this way in Philippians 3.13 and 14, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I want us to pause and think about the guilt and the shame that Paul was able to overcome through Christ. You see, before Paul became a follower of Christ, he persecuted Christians. We also know he actually even participated in the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And yet he describes that he and we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Christ came to comfort us, Christ came to restore us, and the consolation of Christ also means that Christ came to heal our hurts and our brokenness. Christ is our healer. He is the consolation of God. As we look back on all the sin and hate and anger and guilt and shame and doubt and failure, Christ is the fulfillment of Isaiah 49.13 where Scripture says, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has consoled His people and will have compassion on the afflicted. Listen to his invitation. This is Jesus to all that carry the heavy burden of hurts and brokenness. He says in um, Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Finally, Christ seals our future place in God's kingdom with him. He says again in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on to to say, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and, and seek righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus is basically saying, Blessed especially are my brothers and sisters who know sorrow. I am a man of sorrows. I took on flesh, took on your pain and suffering so that you might know how much the Father cares for you. I give you my presence, my Holy Spirit, my comforter, so that you will never walk alone again. And when we give our life to Christ, God places uh, the deposit of His Spirit in us. And we have the presence of Christ with us for all of the time that we move forward. And the Holy Spirit is comforting us. He's restoring us from our losses. He's healing us from our pain and our brokenness. That is the consolation of Christ that Simeon so desperately wanted from God. And he was able to meet Jesus in person, in the flesh, God in the flesh, the consolation of the world. And he held baby Jesus in his own arms. And this morning, I want to invite you, like Simeon, I invite you to grab a hold of Jesus especially if life is a struggle for you right now. Christ understands pain and suffering. He took on our flesh so that we might be consoled by Him. Christ is making all things new. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for 
the gift of your Son, the gift of the consolation that He comes to restore us from our brokenness, from our wounds. He comes to heal us, God, in those places that hurt so deeply and so desperately. God, we're grateful for this gift and that Christ understands the depth of our human suffering, having suffered so great difficulty and pain on our behalf, God. And God, we ask that we too could be encouraged to wait with expectation, to know that Christ is working transformation in our own lives, to to create something new out of something that's been hurt and broken and, uh, and disappointed. And God, help us to wait with expectation like Simeon and understand that at one point we too will be face to face with Christ and all things will be made new again. And so God, we look forward with great expectation to the day that Christ will return and we will join him with all of your saints. And so God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.